Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Raj Basaur. I'm a consultant doctor and psychiatrist based in Harvey Street, London, and I'm delighted to be joined now by Dr. Dimitro Asanov, who is a doctor and a psychologist based in Ukraine. Uh, so Dr. Asanov, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. Well, thank you, Dr. Basaur. I'm working right now at the hospital for uh, war veterans for the Glade uh, under the Ministry of Health of Ukraine. And uh, I am uh, an assistant professor at uh, Bogomolets National Medical University at Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, my primary job is to work with uh, military veterans and uh, for now it's somehow transformed to, to working with our defenders. So before the war began, you basically specialized and worked with soldiers. Um, is that right? And you were treating wh whatever the kind of things that soldiers get, like post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that right? Yeah, yeah correctly. Uh, I was working with demilitarized uh, or demobilized um, uh, soldiers, the veterans, and uh, two primary things uh, we were working on is traumatic brain injuries and uh, stress-related uh, disorders like PTSD, yes. So before the war began, what, why would the soldiers that you treated develop PTSD? What were the causes of it before the war began? Uh, almost all veterans uh, before the war, uh, they served uh, uh, their active duty in the uh, Donbass area. Uh, since 2014, there was a conflict uh, with, uh, uh, with Russia, uh, Russian uh, forces and uh, pro-Russian uh, um, uh, soldiers uh, were, uh, were um, in a warfare zone with our soldiers and uh, there, there were many uh, casualties and many uh, serious, uh, serious battles uh, where our soldiers uh, were highly traumatized, both uh, mentally and physically. Could you give us some examples of the kind of events or incidents that would lead to trauma, like maybe uh, a bomb blowing up near, near a soldier? Give us some examples of the kinds of events that would lead to psychological trauma. Yeah. Uh, in Donbass area, uh, from 2014, there were very severe bombings uh, with uh, different kinds uh, of... Uh, uh, of, of bombs and uh, also many soldiers um, uh, lost their friends, uh, their um, comrades uh, during the war, or they have seen uh, some severe uh, dramas, uh, for example, uh, arm loss, leg loss, uh, something like this, and uh, this has changed their state of mind. And how would they manifest the post-traumatic stress disorder? What kind of symptoms would they get? Uh, uh, in, in our case, in the Ukrainian case, uh, many symptoms, uh, many cases start with um, sleep disturbance. Uh, they started to see nightmares uh, about the uh, war, about the traumatic event. Uh, then, uh, then some uh, intrusions uh, joined. For example, they have uh, an intrusive thoughts about uh, constant intrusive thoughts about the traumatic event intrusive memories about how what uh, is going then uh, the emotional sphere of the soldiers also uh, were changing for example they become very easily uh, irritated and uh, they were very aggressive and uh, easy to go to conflict 
was there any difference between the way someone um, uh, like a U Ukrainian soldier might manifest post-traumatic stress disorder compared to a soldier from another country? Were there any impacts of culture or background? Or you think post-traumatic stress disorder is one of those disorders. It doesn't matter if you are a U U.S. veteran who's fought in the Vietnam War or or someone who's fought in the Falklands War, or someone in the Afghan War, or the Iraqi War, the PTSD tends to manifest itself in more or less the same way. What, what are your views on that? Uh, from what I've seen, uh, our soldiers have a much more severe uh, blaming uh, themselves for what they uh, didn't done or for what they uh, done wrong, because uh, the, the the main difference in this situation in Ukraine is that uh, our soldiers are fighting on our land, uh, not in the external missions, uh, and they are defending uh, our country. And if they did something wrong, this leads to losses of civilians, it leads to losses of their combatants, and um, this somehow affects our independence. Yeah, so the from what I've seen uh, from the clinical practice, uh, the blame, blaming of themselves is a symptom of blaming for what they have not done or what they've done wrong is quite uh, severe. And uh, based, based from what I've, I've read on literature, it's not uh, so common, for example, to American veterans. That's a very um, interesting point. Now, does that, does that loop back to a question about motivation? Um, the soldiers in uh, Ukraine um, who join the army in Ukraine, do they join um, because they're very interested in defending uh, Ukraine? I mean, it, it, around the world, many soldiers join um, an army because it's a job and they get paid. Um, do you think there's a psychology, a different psychology um, behind why people become soldiers in Ukraine compared maybe to other countries, given the political uh, situation uh, of Ukraine? Yeah, I can agree about uh, motivation. It's also quite different because, for example, uh, once the war uh, started in 2013, 2014, uh, the payment was not very good and uh, they didn't have any uh, social policies uh, regarding veterans. So the main motivation to go uh, and to serve was uh, patriotism. Uh, they were hard, they were and they are highly patriotic men, uh, and their main uh, motivation was to defend the country, not to get some um, money or get some uh, social policies because uh, they simply were absent at the beginning of the war. And what kind of person in Ukraine becomes a soldier? Is it a cross-section of the population or is it a particular kind of person? Um, often there is a stereotype in, in other parts of the world that often, it, um, because in army is dangerous work, uh, often difficult work and also um, not paid very well, that often you will find people who are at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder tend to become soldiers. Is that the same uh, in Ukraine or is it different? Oh, quite different. Uh, to be honest, uh, our veteran, uh, it it can be anyone, really. It can be anyone. Uh, it can be starting from, I don't know, from a driver, from a taxi driver who went to uh, defend the country. Also, uh, I had many patients who were also uh, very specialized uh, professionals during the civil li life, for example, uh, it was a geodesist, uh, a geographician, it was a historic, uh, 
also it was a university uh, teacher or university professor who went to the uh, Ukraine so it's uh, who went to Ukraine's defense uh, so it's very very different people it can be both men and uh, women yeah, uh, it uh, dominantly men but uh, women also uh, quite commonly go and defend and uh, we are talking about different different professional different social background so you have uh, many women in the, in the Ukrainian army uh, don't have official uh, statistics but somehow common yeah, it's quite common uh, when uh, our women uh, also service in the army and and these women do exactly the same thing the men do they fight on the front line in the same way yeah okay yeah. so um now there's big controversy in the field of post traumatic stress disorder about whether you can predict who is more likely to develop the disorder from their background their background personality so so one theory is some people have a vulnerable personality and maybe a previous life event so that it's not a surprise, so much of a surprise, it's not random who gets PTSD. Um, in other words, the location of the causation sometimes these days is moving away from the idea of the trauma of the event to the background personality being vulnerable. Uh, what are your thoughts and what's your experience of this? Um, yeah, from what I've seen, uh, very important factor is really a social status, for example, um, uh, for example, people with uh, um, people from uh, communities with low incomes are um, quite more commonly um, uh, got PTSD, and uh, some um, some personal um, some personal attitudes. For example, um, how to say. Uh, if a person uh, was highly self-blaming before the war, this is uh, maybe a trigger, a factor to uh, start a PTSD uh, from what I was saying uh, earlier from the blaming symptom. Uh, this person starts uh, to blaming uh, himself or herself and then uh, the situation uh, develops. So also uh, quite a important social factor for PTSD is uh, a marriage status. For example, a lonely, a lonely, lonely man or women uh, also um, quite commonly had PTSD after the war. There, there is also a theory that goes back to motivation. Um, there was a theory that American soldiers in the Vietnam War were more likely to get PTSD than the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong soldiers, because as is happening in Ukraine, the, the Vietnamese soldiers were defending their, their homeland and they were very, very motivated. Um, and the American soldiers didn't want to be there. Um, do, do you think this, this motivation factor plays a role in who gets PTSD and who doesn't? Mm, from what I've seen uh, from my practice, uh, no, that doesn't affect uh, the situation of whether will person get a PTSD or will not. Uh, unfortunately, we still do not have uh, any public official statistics. Uh, how uh, big is the percent uh, of veterans who got PTSD? What is the person uh, percent of the veterans who are uh, had a complex PTSD for now? And uh, we can't get, get uh, any insights from it. Unfortunately. So the war has now begun. Um, so tell us a bit about if you notice any difference in your work. I mean, are you overwhelmed, perhaps? Um, uh, uh, and also tell us a bit about 
whether the disorders that people are coming to you with are the same kind of disorders or there's a difference? Everything has changed. Everything, everything has changed, yes. And uh, for now, my work is uh, totally uh, online. Uh, I'm consulting online, and uh, uh, why, why is it so? Because the hospital was situated at the north of the Kiev, and uh, he is in one of the warfare zones right now. So right now, the, the personnel, the staff uh, were evacuated almost uh, at the beginning of the war, and uh, our psychological unit works online. For example, we work uh, with our defenders via chat, via messengers, and... Uh, uh, more rarely via uh, telephone calls and uh, our uh, psychological consultations uh, the time of, the, of them uh, also has changed uh, and it uh, and then becomes uh, more and more shorter for example it can be uh, five ten minutes 15 minutes something like this and the very short uh, messages because uh, our soldiers for now don't have many time to talk and they don't have uh, the possibilities to dig in uh, their problems. And uh, our uh, work is mainly about grounding techniques, about breathing techniques, techniques about reminding some basic issues like uh, don't forget to eat, don't forget to press. Uh, uh, our work is also about normalizing, normalizing physical stress reactions like rapid um, press, like pounding heart and clear sinking. Uh, we normalize it. It's okay to feel this. And we also normalize the experience uh, of uh, our military men. For example, yes, they do kill people. Yes, they do defend the country and they need to, to kill people uh, to defend the country. Yes, they will feel anxious or extremely harassed or feeling depressed, and this is okay in this situation. And uh, also our hospital created a self-help bot. This is a bot in one of the messengers uh, who, uh, which uh, provides uh, our veterans some techniques. Uh, once again, it's about uh, grounding techniques and it's about breathing techniques and it's about the techniques, uh, how to help uh, your comrade. And this bot uh, sends them messages how to do that. And uh, this bot par partially um, have a supporting role when the veteran don't have an access to, uh, veteran or military men don't have an access to psychologists right now. Uh, you talked about grounding techniques. What what are yeah. you referring to when you when you use the word grounding techniques? Okay, now uh, when I'm talking about grounding techniques, I'm uh, talking about uh, different method different methods to um, change your state of mind from overthinking to just um, viewing or uh, seeing what is going around or um, I don't know or feeling uh, some physical. Uh, some physical um, information uh, without judging it. So it's basically about stopping the uh, overwhelming thoughts. Stopping the what thoughts, sorry? Overwhelming, overwhelming thoughts. It's stopping the thoughts that uh, is flooding you and uh, don't, uh, don't allow you to uh, rapidly act in the situation. What about the kind of events that are causing post-traumatic stress disorder at the moment? Tell us a bit about the kind of events your soldier patients are experiencing on the battlefield. Um, for now, we're not talking about uh, PTSD due to this uh, situation because uh, to diagnose PTSD, we need one month. Yeah, And uh, this uh, we are now expecting that PTSD um, uh, will be flooding for example, 
in the nearest week or in the nearest two weeks like that. Uh, priorly for this month, we were mainly working with anxiety disorders or panic disorders or acute stress reactions, but not PTSD. Well, could you say a little bit about what you, what the soldiers are are experiencing uh, in the war? Is it is it different to the the previous conflict you you mentioned right at the beginning of this interview? Could you tell us a bit about what what the, their experience of the war is, the kind of war they're fighting? Um, cannot cannot say many details because they do not say them to me uh, as to any uh, anyone civil right now because yeah, this is a secret information about what is going on. Uh, during the operation, uh, but the emotions uh, are quite the same that uh, were during the conflict in Donbas, for example. Yeah, it can be fear if uh, they are constantly under shell and they, it can be depression or it can be some panic attacks. But what, uh, what has changed is that um, many of them uh, have a fear about the safety of their family because many families uh, also moved from uh, warfare zones from the big cities to uh, the west of Ukraine or even to other countries and uh, our soldiers have many many of our soldiers had a um, not very good or not very constant uh, contact with their family and the, this uh, also uh, uh, an important part of their anxiety right now. How is my wife? How is my child? Is it okay with them? Something like this. Um, so what's been the most surprising um, aspect of this war from your standpoint as a, as a doctor and a psychologist treating soldiers? Uh, the resilience of our veterans. Uh, they... They've proven us, uh, I don't know, they've shown us how uh, a person may be patriotic or uh, fear and fearless. Uh, they show us really how a person may be resilient, how a person may go and act and defend without uh, any background thoughts. Uh, and uh, we are fighting with the armies that are that is much larger than our uh, army. We are fighting with armies that for many years were said uh, to be uh, the second army of the world, or the third army of the world, not only in the um, quantitative, uh, uh, not only in a quantitative case, but also, for example, in technological case. And uh, when the war started, Many people, many men, just uh, just went to uh, war administrations and said, "I want to fight." No fear, no hesitation, only willing to fight and only willing to defend. And for me, this is an example of enormous resilience and or how to brave and uh, how believing in the best may uh, be the people when they fight for in the name of freedom. Do you think there are any lessons from that? for resilience in general, because uh, in my opinion, this is an underrated issue in psychology and psychiatry. The key issue in my opinion is prevention of mental illness or psychological disorder. And that means the central question is how do we build resilient people? Um, and that may be something that schools have to get more involved in. This is a longer term project and something to talk about when there isn't a war on, obviously. 
But resilience, in my opinion, is, a, is an issue not just for soldiers, but for everyone, because everyone faces difficult times. Not, not as bad, obviously, as soldiers face, but everyone faces difficult times. And, and I believe it would be useful for people to learn how to be resilient in the face of difficulty, and it would prevent psychiatric disorder. What, what are your views on, on this issue? Yeah, it's quite an interesting uh, issue, really. And uh, for example, my PT, uh, my PhD uh, thesis also related to resilience veterans. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, as you said, this uh, this is under somehow underrated uh, concept. And uh, for now, even it's uh, very for me very badly and very unclearly um, defined concept. And we have different approach to resilience. What is it? And uh, and how to uh, cultivate it. Um, yes, I think we, we will have many uh, lessons from this war uh, from how to prevent situations like this or how to prepare our soldiers to, not only soldiers, yeah, how to prepare any person to act in different situations and to be clear thinking and to be uh, stress resistant. So we've been talking a little bit about the role that motivation may play, patriotism, the desire to defend the homeland and to be driven by that, that psychology might be important in resilience. Um, uh, speaking as someone talking to you from the UK and from London, there is a widespread view um, uh, in Britain that Winston Churchill and his stirring speeches during World War II were very important in um, uh, bolstering the morale of uh, the country and played a key role in Britain's resistance. Um, you have a leader who we are seeing on our TV screens on the news reports almost every day, uh, making stirring speeches. And some of his speeches have seemed remarkably similar to the kind of things Churchill uh, may have said. Um, what, how important do you think that is? What, what role do you think the leader um, plays in this situation in terms of morale for the soldiers? Uh, as for me, it's very important. Really, it's very important, for example, uh, to our president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, our people, uh, prior, prior to the war, they had very different, um, different meaning about our president. Not everyone were, uh, was um, agree with his policy or with his uh, judgments, but from what I see now, um, uh, his uh, speeches is inspiring uh, from many people, uh, both uh, for our military men, from our defenders, and both for the civil people who are um, in pieces, if I can say so for now. Yes, uh, the speeches of our leaders is very important issue, and uh, they can give both a moral or a dismoral. And from what I see now, uh, the speeches is uh, inspiring and they give, uh, they give a hope that we will stand and we will overcome the war and we will win. This is a very important issue. Uh, another very interesting issue, I know it's not gonna be um, on top of your priority, you have more, more, more important things to um, deal with immediately, given you're in the middle of a war. But again, here in Britain, there is a theory that the country was changed psychologically by World War II. And the, one of the ways it changed was there was a, a bigger unity in the country. Before there was a class division, there was the aristocracy. 
there was the middle class, there was the working class, and they didn't really have much to do with each other. But the sense of unity led directly, the theory goes, to the foundation of the National Health Service. The idea that the returning heroes from the front line should be um, offered um, free uh, medical care at the point of delivery. There's a theory that if it wasn't for World War II, you couldn't have had the United Kingdom National Health Service, that it was a direct um, outcome of the psychological change that occurred in the country uh, as a result of the war. Um, I know I'm asking you a very difficult question now, but do you think um, that after the war, Ukraine will have changed psychologically in some way? I think definitely. I think definitely Ukraine will. And uh, now in, in the terms, for example, of social psychology, it looks like we, uh, undergo, we are undergoing the processes that Britain uh, came many years ago. And uh, if we will say about when this, uh, when this has started, it's definitely started in 2013 um, during the revolution, during the uh, Maidan, uh, the national identity became to be more clearer, uh, clearer and uh, our population became more united. Uh, then uh, it was war in Donbass in 2014 and uh, a very long way to uh, the unification and uh, to the concept was the national idea of Ukraine. And uh, from what I see now, uh, this process uh, due to the Russian invasion, um, I can say it somehow coming to an end. Um, the Ukraine is uh, still undergoing unification and uh, we feel more united and um, more uh, joined than it was never before. And we are feeling what what does uh, mean to be a Ukrainian nation? Tell us a little bit about your own personal circumstances. Where are you talking to us from? Are you in a place where there's a danger that you might get shelled? And so tell us a little bit about your personal circumstances, how they've changed your living conditions as a result of the war. Uh, I'm in Kiev. I'm in Kiev uh, right now. And uh, if I previously were working uh, in the hospital or in the university directly, uh, during the COVID, uh, our university work uh, became also uh, an online uh, component, primarily an online component, but um, I was still working offline in the uh, hospital. The main issues that had uh, changed is that I'm, I'm working from home and my main uh, instrument is a computer. <laughs> I cannot say that it's quite a safe place here for now, but it's a capital. So you don't feel it's a safe place? You don't feel safe where you are? I cannot say, to be honest, that uh, any uh, place in Ukraine may be, uh, may be named as a safe one in the terms we used to it. And, and how, if I can ask this question, um, you don't have to answer it uh, if you don't want to, but how have you been affected psychologically uh, by uh, the war? Have you noticed that you are more stressed and having trouble sleeping and so on, things like that? Um, maybe in the beginning. Maybe in the beginning. Um, many, many of us were prepared uh, for the situation, yes, that uh, Russian, um, Russian military may invade, and uh, many of us have uh, made some 
um, emerges is some uh, alert sacks with the main documents, uh, with, um, with the, uh, I don't know, some basic food and instruments of the first need. And so do I, yeah. Uh, mentally, I was uh, prepared that it may happen, it happened. And uh, for the first several days of the beginning, uh, at the beginning of the war, it was quite um, uh, chaotic movements of everyone and anything around. And um, I, I cannot say that I um, clearly um, was understanding what is going on. But when the situation somehow um, clarified, yes, then it was a, some uh, phase of uh, mild depression or and uh, some fears that maybe we were lost and I don't know what will be the next. And uh, um, it was news that some, uh, some uh, Russian uh, forces moved uh, in, in the parts of uh, Ukraine. I know I've been there, or I've seen the photos of uh, Kharkiv, of bombing of Kharkiv, one of our biggest uh, uh, cities. And uh, I also recognize many places uh, I've, where I've been, and um, yeah, that was not a very um, pleasant experience, and it was a feeling a depressive one. But after the time passed and passed, uh, you just get used to it, and uh, you know that when it's a air raid alarm, you need to go to shell. When it's bombing, you need to go to shell. In the other situations, you need to work and to close our victory. For so for now, uh, I personally feel in myself in okay state of mind. Just okay. I need to work and I need to I need to do my job. So you find you find your job a a useful um, uh, activity that distracts, engages, and absorbs you, in, 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 given the stress you're under. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, my job is quite uh, useful and important as for my patients and uh, both for me because this gives me the sense that I am not just sitting and waiting. Uh, will and looking how it will be uh, but I am doing something important um, yeah I'm not uh, I'm not going for example uh, right now with the arm or, and I'm not defending like many military do but my job is also somehow important because I help them to be in a calm state of mind and um, normalize their experience because of the war, um, we are hearing that many people have left Ukraine, um, and some of those people are psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, is that right? And um, and doctors as well. Is, has that created more of a problem in terms of delivering healthcare within Ukraine? Mm, that's true. That's many really many professionals leave Ukraine and now are trying to. But, but but they are now trying to um, continue their practice, uh, for example, in Poland uh, or in uh, Czech Republic or other places. Where there are many uh, Ukrainian um, people right now, uh, and they are trying to help them on the place. Um, prior to the war in Ukraine, if I remember correctly, we have quite many psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, 
quite many uh, is about uh, assumptions. Uh, and uh, yeah, partially some, partially some moved uh, to the safe, uh, safer places, and they are quite. Um, and we, I don't think that we have a real um, problem with uh, delivering uh, psychological services uh, because um, because uh, many of our military men don't have many time. Uh, to work with psychologists, therefore, one psychologist can uh, work with quite many uh, military servicemen during the day. And if we are talking about, um, if we're talking about uh, civil people, if we're talking about people who are not in the warfare zones, so they have an access to um, some volunteering services and. Uh, also, um, uh, uh, after the war started, we have developed many psychological services, free psychological services. Almost all uh, psychological offices or private clinics, uh, as I know, they are working uh, free of charge. They do not take uh, the money from their uh, patients, or if they take the money, they transfer them to our armed forces. Uh, therefore, I don't think that there is... Uh, um, a lack of psychologists uh, in Ukraine or uh, a lack of uh, psychological uh, de delivery. What's more important, uh, there is a lack of um, understanding how to do this correctly, how to consult correctly in the case of uh, war, because there are not many material, materials even uh, in literature exist how to do this correctly, but we're trying to do this they're trying to do. I want to go back to a point you made a, a while ago in our conversation. You talked about part of the trauma of PTSD is when people have to kill another person or shoot someone or kill them, that they yeah. find that traumatizing. Could you say a little bit about that? Maybe uh, maybe you will mention what exactly uh, do, you, do you find interesting in this issue? So well, that, that, that a soldier signs up understanding they will have to kill people and killing people is kind of like the job. And mm -hmm. in a sense, um, it's part it, 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 it's a it's a way of ensuring you don't get killed. But you, you said that they they can find that traumatizing. So I'm just wondering a bit about that. And I also um, we talked a bit before we began the interview that you may provide us with some case studies um, of particular individuals, if you could say a bit about some of those case studies, if possible, um, if mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, okay, about killing, uh, what I've heard many uh, times for our veterans, um, many of our veterans uh, who served in the 2014, uh, they are in um, their 40s on their 50s uh, right now, and uh, there were many situations when they um, when they needed to kill uh, young boys from the Russian side, quite young boys uh, in their twenties, uh, for example, in the age of twenty, of ninety, of eighteen, even. And um, for our our soldiers, uh, it was not quite a correct situation. Yes, I understood that this is the enemy, and they need to kill this, but uh, also, the, they do have, and they will have some uh, humanistic uh, humanistic thoughts about this. About I am a fifty-year-old man killing a twenty-year-old man. 
is it right? Yeah, and uh, for many cases, uh, the, this was not very, um, very good for them. And uh, this was one of the factors uh, PTSD develops. Okay, if we're talking about some clinical cases, for example, they can be many different, they can be very different, very different stories, very different people. Uh, one of the, I don't know, the most inspiring cases for me is a case of uh, a man who was, uh, before the war, he was a biologist and uh, um, he went to Donbass to fight uh, for Ukrainian freedom only uh, due to his patriotism, only due to this, because yeah, he had a job, everything was okay, but when the invasion started, uh, he thought, I need to go and fight, I need to defend, if not me, who else? Um, and um, during the war in Donbass, he became, uh, because of his biological background, background he became uh, a field medic. Uh, a field uh, medical professionals. Uh, he served, uh, if I remember correctly, two years from 2014 to 2016. And when he uh, returned to the civil life, um, his um, story completely changed. He was not. Um, he was not still a biologist. He changed his profession to some medical profession. He went uh, to. Uh, university and uh, completed um, uh, a master's program in uh, a certain medical area. And uh, after that, he worked with our veterans uh, till now. He was working as a medical professional, but right now he is working with our soldiers uh, as a trainer. Um, uh, he trains uh, soldiers before the operations and um, he's trying to be positive, uh, but I know him as a very serious man, as a very calm man, and uh, we are in contact uh, once in a several days. And uh, in many cases, this, uh, this contact looks like I'm asking him, are you okay? He answers, yes, I'm okay, quite good. Uh, I'm asking him, are you needed something? He, asks, uh, he answers, no, I don't need something, or if I will need, I will write you. And then some days he may send a photo for example, where, when he's, where he's standing with his comrades and uh, that's showing that everything is okay. Um, and we have, we have many uh, cases of uh, something like this, that priorly to the war, someone had a different profession, but during the war, everything has changed. And uh, when he was demobilized after the Donbass uh, uh, warfare conflict, uh, the life completely changes, uh, changed. And now they once again go into the war um, to fight for our freedom. Uh, Dimitrov Asanov, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Rush.